0: Welcome to Destiny Revival Ministries sermon of the week. Thank you for joining us. You can stay up to date through our social media or give from the link in the details. We hope this message blesses you. You know, it's funny in the last uh, couple of years, you know, just gone through you know transformation myself. You know, I guess of uh, just coming to know God and and who I am, and I'm not an emotional person whatsoever. But I don't think I've ever cried so much in my life in the last two years. um, You know, I know some people, yeah, I've got an issue with my eye or whatever, and it's waters up more than it should. But lots of times when you see it, I'm I'm actually crying. (laughs) I I, I, I am. I mean, I'm just... I am so... um, I'm serious. My prayer, more than ever, um, but it's, you know, over the last couple of years, but especially just last couple of months, I guess, is just seeking after the transformation. You know, just spending time with Him. You know, and just longing for I want to be so much that creation that He created from before the before He formed the world. He saw me. He knew me. He called me by name. You know, and he knew I was going to come into the world at this time, but he has a new name for me, and that's actually what I'm going to get into. Is uh, I'm titling this, Your New Name. He has a new name for us. And I want so much, you know, to be, you know, step, stepped into that. And I know we're, we go through a process, Transformation's a pro- transformation is a process. You know, some people, it seems like it's an overnight 180, you know, thing. For some people, it seems like it's something that can just last the rest of their lives. But either way, we're being transformed you know, into His image, He made us in His image, and we're being transformed. You know, into that. You know, this new life that we live in Him each and every day. We're being transformed into His image, and it's just such an awesome thing. And I, I just don't ever want to take for granted. You know, the presence of God. You know, and, and every time I, <clears throat> every time I come up here, you know, to speak. Um, you know, I always feel um, so inadequate. You know, I do because um, I'm not. I'm not eloquent. I'm not the best speaker in the world, you know, this is not something that I do all the time, but there is something that I do have, and that is the presence of God, there is a fire, you know, that's in me, that's in you, there's a passion for Him, there's a love for Him, and it's something that is transferable, you know, as well, it's something that we carry, it's something that we spread to people as we encounter them, as we come across them, you know, and... Don't ever sell that short. You know, it's not about the eloquence. And I think about that, and I I wish I would have brought up those scriptures. It's Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4, somewhere in there, you know, after the 120 are filled, you know, with the Holy Spirit in the upper room, and Peter and John, they go out and they heal the person standing at the gate who had been lame for 40 years, you know, something like that. You know, he's about 40 years old, lame from birth. And they go and they you know, say, silver and gold, have we none, but what we do have, you know, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the man gets up and he just starts you know, jumping and leaping and praising God and they go into the temple and from what I remember, it was like eight hours that Peter and John ministered to the people in the temple. You know whatever they had gone for that day, I don't know how long their ritualistic prayers you know lasted they would go to the temple you know and they'd have their prayers and all this kind of stuff, but that day uh, something different was introduced you know into the temple to where it was not business as usual. you know the people could not deny, and that's what it said is they could not deny that they had be, that they had been with Jesus because these were not learned men, so they could recognize just from their speech that yeah, these aren't, you know, these aren't, you know, the most learned, uh, eloquent speakers in the world. But I cannot deny that they've been with Jesus because they move in power. They speak and they move in power and demonstration. And we cannot do that just out of our minds. We cannot do that out of intellect. You know, any one of us in here can prepare a message. We can come up with some 10-point thing you know whatever that sounds good you know whatever and we can get some amens and you know rile some people up you know whatever it might be but we cannot you know we cannot through our own intellect we cannot no change can be produced if we all we've done is re- reach the minds of people you know God is after the hearts of each and every one of us and it is his presence it is the Holy Spirit it is the anointing that we carry that's in us and that is what reaches the hearts you know, of people. And that is what God is after is the transforming, you know, of us from into his likeness and and into the image of his son. And so what I wrote down, I actually got my message this morning. Um, You know, I had absolutely, you know, nothing. Um, (laughs) uh, So this, uh, in fact, I typed this out, I even read this yet. So we're going to, we're going to kind of go over this for the first time together. but i i can never you know it's okay that i don't trust in myself in my gifting you know or anything like that cuz it's not about you know any of that you know i am obsessed with the presence of god i mean that that song when y'all started getting into a lovers of his presence i don't know if it was just me i don't think so you know i mean my gosh i mean it felt it it, it, it to me it hit like a blanket you know if 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 you didn't encounter the tangible presence of God during that time, um, I'm not going to say it, you know. But yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's some problems there, you know. I mean, there, that that was just amazing. I mean, anything else? I mean, and frankly, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing I can say that could even build on that. I mean, that was just that is where we are transformed. That is where the work is done. That is where heaven's will is accomplished is in his presence, and, you know, there's just nothing, nothing like it. Um, So where I got my title, your new name, so, uh, you know, Pastor Mark, you know, asked me um, uh, if, if I would speak today. Uh, he's officiating a wedding uh, for, for a friend uh, of his, and, um, you know, and so I was just thinking about that, is that when a bride gets married, when, 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 when a couple comes together and they get married, she typically, not always, but changes her name, you know, to his. And with most marriages, um, you know, intimacy takes place and then something is birth, typically. You know, I mean, that's, that's a large part of what happens in a lot of marriages. But nothing new, nothing miraculous can be produced without intimacy. And I think that we do that, you know, a lot as we try to produce things without coming out of an intimate relationship with Him, and that is religion. Um, That's something that I heard actually the other day. Specifically, I was pulling into my office, I think it was Friday morning maybe, as I pulled into the parking lot, wasn't thinking anything, and man, this this phrase just came to me. Religion is the result of works without intimacy, as lack of fulfillment in Him will always produce self-works and self-justification. So again, religion is the result of works without intimacy. Our lack of fulfillment in him will always produce self-works and self-justification. And the religion is man's attempt to get a hold of God, but Christianity is God getting a hold of man. Religion says you have to work your way to him, but Christianity says God brought you to him through the cross. You know, and so something I was thinking of, this is something I looked at years ago, is there's uh, some examples of some people whose names God changed in the Bible. And those names, you know, reflected, um, you know, who they, who they were, you know who, or who they were to become, or what God was calling them, you know, to step into. Um, and so there's four people that I had, you know, looked at, again, some, some time ago. Um, Abram became Abraham. Uh, Abraham means "exalted father," and then Abraham became, uh, was father of a multitude of many nations. Then his wife, Sarai, was argumentative, and then Sarah was my princess. Jacob was a supplanter or one who replaces another, and he became Israel, which is, "May God prevail." And then Simon was to listen, and Peter was rock. And you know, Saul is, is one that, you know, would come to mind too, Saul to Paul. Not getting, not getting technical with it, but Saul's name was not changed to Paul. God did not change his name. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek name. Scriptures don't say why Saul started referring to himself as Paul. My personal belief is Paul knew that his primary calling was to the Gentile, not to the Jew. And he would be better received with a Greek name than he would a Hebrew name. Just just an opinion, you know, we just throwing it out there. But something that always stood out to me and what I'm going to talk about uh, just real quickly, and this might be really short. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be okay because I'm normally long-winded, so I'm, I'm trying not to be today. Um, so I'm going to look at Sarah, and I'm also going to look at uh, Saul and Paul, because Sarah is one uh, that sticks out to me, um, because I'm going to read this in the Passion, Genesis 18. Verses nine through fifteen, and this is when um, um, the three angels. You know, again, you know, some people say one of the one of three angels might have been Jesus, but they come to uh, Abraham in the tent. This is after Abraham and Sarah got their new name. Okay, so uh, in in, uh, Genesis seventeen, God changed the name from uh, Sarai to Sarah and from Abram to Abraham. So. Um, so in Genesis eighteen nine through 15, these three angels are talking to Abraham and they asked him, where is your wife, Sarah? He answered over there in the tent. Then one spoke up and said, I will return about this time next year when your wife, Sarah will certainly have a son. Sarah overheard it for she was at the tent door, not far behind him. Now, both Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, for they were somewhere around 90, 90 years old. Sarah laughed to herself with disbelief, saying, "A woman, my age, have a baby? After I'm worn out, will I now enjoy marital bliss and conceive and with my aged husband?" Yahweh knew her thoughts and asked Abraham, "Why is Sarah laughing, saying, "How can a woman my age have a baby? Do you think there is anything too marvelous for Yahweh?" I will, appear at you at the, I will appear to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she denied it, saying, I wasn't laughing, but he said, yes, you were. Amen. So this was after Sarah's name changed. So Sarai was one who is argumentative, so her just naturally, you know, is argumentative. She wasn't necessarily, you know, going along with things, going along with the flow as always. That's her natural personality you know, is what I see in this, but then God, prior to this, changes her name to my princess, and I mean, how, you know, who wouldn't want to be, I guess more women, you know, but who wouldn't want to be called, you know, my princess by God, who wouldn't want to be visited by God saying, you know what, I care about you so much, you are so special to me, I am changing your name to you are my princess, yes, That's is how I know you, from this point forward, you are my princess, I mean, how, you know, how awesome is that? But this, this happened, this still, this thing happened where she laughs, not only laughs about what God's saying, because it it just, in the mind, it doesn't make sense, but then lies, you know, about it. I mean, to the Lord's face, you know, basically, you know, and so it's like, well, wait, you know, hold on, what happened? You know, what happened here? And then what's crazy is in Hebrews 11, she's listed as one of the heroes of the faith. And it's like, we don't know Sarah for a whole lot besides that, you know, that instance, Abraham, you know, trying to pawn her off as his sister because she's apparently pretty and he's afraid he's going to be killed, you know, so, uh, you know, so uh, Pharaoh can take her as his wife. We don't really know, you know, a whole lot, you know, about her, but she's listed as a hero of faith, and this is really kind of the last incident that the scripture gives us of Sarah, which is, you know, her denying the promise of God and then lying you know, when she's confronted about it. You know, so it doesn't sound like anything, you know, too amazing. And that's what it says in Hebrews eleven eleven. 11, Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise and she tapped into his fullness faithfulness. God doesn't judge people in the same manner that we do. He sees us for who we truly are and not for the times when we fall short. You know, our identity, and that's why I'm so, I am so ecstatic that Dan Muller is coming you know, to go along with what Cody you know, was saying. Dan Muller is somebody who's just been beyond instrumental uh, in my life over the last couple of years, just totally uh, changing my perspective of how I viewed myself lar- largely, but also you know, in how I viewed God you know, I mean, it's so easy in religion when you live a life of religion to just walk around with this just sense of guilt and shame and condemnation, you know, every time, you know, you slip up, every time something happens and you identify yourself through the troubles that you're going through, you know, and you're always wondering, you know, okay, what, what did I do wrong? What, what point system, you know, am I on that's not allowing me to get, you know, beyond that? And with me, that started at a very, you know, early age, you know, we had uh, our school, our school curriculum you know, and tell you at the beginning of every test, and it was a Christian curriculum, tell you at the beginning of every test, you know, now pray and ask God to help you. And then at the end of the test, you know, it would say, now pray and thank God for his help, you know, in the test. And so, you know, I did okay in school. And you know, as I got, you know, older and into higher grades, um, I became a very good Christian the night before a test, you know, and I would just make sure, I'm not doing anything bad. I'm going to be an extra good boy and all this kind of stuff because I did not learn the material and I need God to intervene, you know, tomorrow when I take this test and so He can give me a passing grade. And uh, and man, they they would hand me that test and I mean you'd skim over it real quickly, just you know get a quick glimpse of okay how much trouble am I really in? Uh, you know do I do I know the first and the last question or if I don't you know then oh you know we're in for. Uh, I need to really pray for an extra long time you know right now and i mean i would i mean you just pray and pray and pray you know before the test and then after the test pray and pray and pray but when i knew i did well on the test when i knew all the questions yeah maybe i didn't you know pray so much you know it's like yeah i got got this you know i'm I'm, I'm good you know and so just there's just some things and it's through no fault of anybody else it's just this conception it's this perception that we get you know, of who God is, is that we come to God only in our time of need. And then whenever we're going through an experience or we're going through a trial or whatever, where we need his intervention and he didn't intervene, then what did I do wrong? Where did I fall short? You know, why wasn't I in the right place for God to step in, you know, and save the day? And so we develop this identity of ourselves and Him, we're only, we're only doing as good as we feel like we're doing that day. We walk around with our own measuring stick, measuring ourselves against our circumstances, our situations, other people. You know, we, we, that's, that's the calculated measurement that we use to judge ourselves by. You know, and then we, again, pin everything back on God when things don't go the way we feel that it should go. And it just makes for a twisted... Um, identity, you know, understanding again of who he is and who we are. Um, but I, the reason I'm mentioning Sarah here is because even though God knew who Sarah was, just in the natural, she's an argumentative person, and He changes her identity to say, "No, you are my princess. You are somebody who's special to me." She still was dealing with some issues. She still didn't have full trust you know, in God. She still lied, you know, about not trusting in God, but yet God still says, you know what? She is somebody, she is a hero of faith, somebody to be uh, looked up to, and we would judge it as saying, well, no, she still failed. She still fell short, and God's like, I don't judge people by the circumstances or by the times when they fall short. I judge them by who I know they really, who they really are. And that's, we have to take on that same perception of ourselves if we're going to also see others the way that God sees them. Uh, and so next is uh, Saul, Paul, like I said, even though his name wasn't changed, he definitely had a major uh, transformation in his life. And so something that just stood out to me is this is when uh, he shipwrecked on the Isle of Malta, and this is Acts 28, 1 through 9. Again, I'm going to read this through the Passion. Uh, it says, after we had safely reached land, uh, and this is after the ship was destroyed, and they're you know swimming uh, to the island of Malta. After we had safely reached land, we discovered that the island we were on was Malta. The people who lived there showed us extraordinary kindness, for they welcomed us around the fire they had built because it was cold and rainy. When Paul had gathered an armful of brushwood and was setting it on the fire. A venomous snake was driven out by the heat and lashed onto Paul's hand with its fangs. When the islanders saw the snake dangling from Paul's hand, they said to one another, no doubt about it, this guy is a murderer. And I'm going to continue on there, but just a couple of things that have, you know, stood out to me for a while is first is the snake, you know, so again, religion wants to say, okay, why did the snake, you know, come up and bite? You know, let's get into a, uh, you know, we call them at, at our office, you know, an RCA, a root cause analysis. You know, so let's just start analyzing everything to death and figure out what state of being was he in. You know, before was he running from God? Was he not f- fully walking in his purpose and his calling? Um, you know what? You know, or uh, even more twisted is, well, no, God allowed the snake to bite him so that God could demonstrate uh, His power. That's also a very religious mindset that we get. And doesn't matter the translation, because I looked up a bunch of them. doesn't matter the translation of the scriptures. It says the reason the snake uh, came out was it said, uh, because of the heat. You know? So forget our deep analytical thinking of why the snake came up to bite him. It was hot. They lit a fire. He dropped some logs in. The snake said, it's hot. He latched onto his hand and bit him. You know, okay, there doesn't always need to be some deep spiritual analysis to every situation that we're in and that we're going through. Oh, it's God trying to show himself strong, or why am I not where I need to be? Why did this happen? Sometimes things just happen, you know. So it's not about the why and exactly what happened, it's about still. Not losing your peace, not knowing, not losing who you are, because of the next point that stood out to me is they said, No doubt about it, this guy is a murderer. He was. The old Saul was a murderer. In fact, if you read on into some later books that he wrote, he refers to himself as a murderer. You know, he said, I used to persecute the church, I would murder families you know, in his zeal for what he thought was the gospel, what he thought was, well, it wasn't the gospel, but what he thought he was ridding the church, you know, of these, you know, crazy uh, extremists, you know, uh, and everything like that. So he's getting permission to to annihilate these people because he needs purity in the church, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And so he knows that that was his past. Now, some of us, some some Christians, as soon as somebody calls us for that old man that we once were when they said no doubt about it this guy is a murderer some people could just fall apart you know right then and there and say oh they got me you know how did they know and then all of a sudden the next part of this story which is amazing you know part of the story which we're about to read none of this would have happened because he could have reverted back to back to what his old man was, you know, and stayed stuck in there as opposed to realizing who he is and staying in the promise of God. And so if we we'll read on verse 5, it says, But Paul shook the snake off, flung it into the fire, suffered no harm at all. Everyone watched him, expecting him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. After observing him for a long time and seeing that nothing unusual happened, they changed their minds and said, He must be a God. The Roman governor of the island named Publius had his estate nearby. He graciously welcomed us as his house guests and showed us hospitality for the three days that we stayed with him. His father laid sick in bed, suffering from fits of high fever and dysentery. So Paul went into his room and after praying, placed his hands on him and he was instantly healed. When the people of the island heard about this miracle, they brought all the sick to Paul and they were also healed." So again, none of this could have happened if Paul would have not been confident in who he was. If he would have allowed, again, people to put him back in the place of the thing that he was delivered from and saying, this is no longer, you know, this is no longer who I am. You know, we can, we can do that so much. I mean, I know what my past weaknesses, you know, were, you know, and so if somebody ca- tries to call you out, you know, on that type of thing, I mean, we have an enemy that his primary thing that he's after is deceiving you. His primary thing is getting into your mind and getting you to believe a lie. That is his major number one weapon that he uses, and he's a master of it. He's very crafty. He's very good at what he does. And so when we allow that, when we don't have so much of what we deal with is a foundational issue of not truly understanding the goodness of God just how good God really is. Because if we really did understand just how good God is, then it'd be a lot more difficult for us to quickly shift blame to God or think that God did something or did not do something uh, to our liking. And so, um, you know, again, if if Paul wasn't confident in who he was in Christ, the simple reminder of the man he used to be, a murderer, could have catapulted him back into a place of guilt, shame, depression, a feeling of not being worthy of God's love, doubting doubting the anointing on his life, etc. But because he was secure in his new identity, and he he then recognized an opportunity to be used by God by praying for someone in need, and as a result, an entire island was impacted by the goodness of God. So it's never about producing works, you know, it's never about, you know, just trying to make something happen. But when we are comfortable in our own skin, when we know, you know, that, that there is a spirit that lives and dwells in us, that there is a presence that we carry when there's an anointing that we carry, that there is one that's in us far greater than anything else that's out there, that there's no principality, there's no, there's no darkness, there's nothing, you know, that can touch us, there's nothing that can bring harm to us then we can, we can be confident in, in who we are in him. And that is when people can see a demonstration of the goodness of God. It's not about us trying to produce a fruit, trying to produce a result. You have something separate out of that relationship with God because all we're doing at that point is producing dead works and it's religious works. And it's something that God says he will spew out of his mouth because he said, I never knew you. you know, so we can do these works without knowing the Father. And so, to go along with this, again about just not going back to your past. I was thinking about this morning, you know, Lot and his family, you know, they're they're fleeing Sodom and Gomorrah, and the you know the angels, you know, clearly tell them, you know, do not do not turn back, you know, don't look back, flee to this city. They granted them uh, permission. They said, look, we're not going to destroy you know this particular village. You have freedom to go run to this village while the rest of Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed. So Lot and his wife and their two daughters, they take off running, you know, and of course we all know the story, Lot's wife, you know, turns around, don't exactly know for sure, you know, I don't know if it's because she didn't really want to leave, you know, she, she didn't want to leave this life that she maybe once had behind, maybe as regret, you know, I don't know what was her reasoning for turning around, but it says she became a pillar of salt, and something that stood out to me was that, you know, salt is a preservative, and so when we are constantly looking back when we go and we turn back for whatever reason, whether it's regret or, um, or a longing for something that we maybe once had but don't have anymore, we can become preserved in that state to where we become um, paralyzed and not able to move you know, forward in the, promises, in the promises of God and for the direction that he has. Because again, he makes a way of escape. You know, in every trial, in every circumstance, in every situation, there's a path, that, there's a way of escape that's made. But if we're always looking back to our past, again, for whatever reason, to say either I'm not, wor- I'm not worthy, you know, or this isn't for me, or for whatever your reasoning might be, you can become paralyzed in that state and not able to move forward. Second Corinthians five seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, how many things have become new? All. So it's, you know, it's something you know, Pastor Mark likes to say a lot. You know, what is the Greek definition of all? All. All is all. All things have become new. And it's like, well, wait, what about all these things? What about this? What about that? What about you know, this, this thing that I had in my life? Isn't there something that I need to do to, um, you know, to uh, an act that I need to go through to destroy this or whatever it might be? All things have become new. You are a new creation. Everything's passed away. So again, we're we're dealing so much with the the lies that the enemy wants to try to keep us entrapped. You know, in a state of paralysis. You know, to where we can't move on in the freedom that we have. You know, in Him, the enemy wants to keep us stuck you know, where we are by keeping us looking at our past and just just staying in this state. But everything is new. There is nothing that we're carrying on. I'm a new new creation. We are all new creations. There's nothing in my past that needs to hinder me from continuing on with who he's called me to be. Doesn't matter how major of a thing it might be. Saul was a murderer. You know, you would think most of us, well, you know, man, I'm pretty much... uh, I'm never going to get to be that, that guy on the high on the totem pole, you know, now with, with that kind of a past, you know, but that's not, you know, that's not the case at all. And so we probably all know people who experienced an overnight 180 when they gave their life to Christ. You know, it's funny, you know, because I think about that. Dan Muller, you know, is one of those. He's been saved for 27 years, something like that. And he had literally like an overnight uh, conversion where God just manifested himself and he did a 180 has never looked back. I mean, I don't know the guy personally. I don't want to put him up on a, a pedestal, even though I, I do. You know. <laughs> if I be truthful, yeah, I do elevate him. You know, but you know, there's nothing in his life that, that indicates that he has not you know, fully understood and embraced you know, just who he is. I mean, he he got saved at night. He went in his bathroom and baptized himself, you know, in the bathtub. And he's like, look, I have no idea if that's legally correct, you know, or not, but it was in my heart to do it and I did it. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, so there's just, um, you know, so there's some people that seem to have, you know, that get this 180 transformation where God just falls and their life is changed, you know, and and from that point forward, it's glory to glory, you know, level upon level. And then for other people, it's like, wait, I'm still struggling with a lot of the same things. Yes, I've embraced, you know, Christ, you know, yes, I've made him, you know, Lord of my life, you know, but I haven't experienced this immediate catapult, you know, from the pits to, you know, running around on the mountaintops. You know, so does that mean that that person that's not feeling that's not feeling this, does that mean that they have a smaller portion of the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of them? No, absolutely not. We've all been given the fullness, the full measure, the fullness of the presence of God. We all have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. We have all had the same price was paid for each and every one of our lives. You know, so none of us are dealing with any smaller portion of grace, you know, or faith or whatever it might be than somebody else all things have become new. So that means all. So it's truth. This is the thing that's just been standing out to me just big time. And this is just something that I just keep repeating over and over again. It's truth that makes us free, right? You know, it's an understanding of the truth, a real firm grasp. Again, I keep repeating it of who we are and who he is, but it's truth that sets us free. And we constantly need to be reminded of that truth. So what is truth? These are some things that I wrote down, and this is a very quick summarization of what I just feel is a major truth that we need to grasp. One, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. He knew you from before the foundations of the world. If he's for you, then who can be against you? He loves you with an everlasting love. Without receiving his love, we can't love ourselves and forgive ourselves of our past. Without loving ourselves, we cannot love others. And ultimately, without love, we have nothing. This is a summarization of a foundational truth that I feel each and every one of us needs to carry because if we don't have that foundational truth living and breathing in us, then we're just one catastrophe or one trial away from letting it all go and slipping back into that old identity from where we came from. And so again, you're not your own. You have been bought with a price. He knew you from before the foundations of the world. If He's for you, who can be against you? He loves you with an everlasting love. These are all scriptures, by the way. Yada you know, didn't just come up, you know, just just come up with these. You know, He knew you from before the foundations of the world. If He's for you, who can be against you? He loves you with an everlasting love. Without receiving His love, we, can love ourse- we cannot love ourselves and forgive ourselves of our past. Without loving ourselves, we cannot love others. And ultimately, without love, we have nothing. There is a foundational issue of not having a realization of just how good God is, of how much He loves you. Our whole life is a story of Him drawing us unto Himself. He's not setting us up for failure. If he's spending his whole life pursuing or our whole life pursuing us and drawing him to ourselves, then why why can we have this mentality that God's setting us up? God's throwing an obstacle in our path, in our path that cannot be overcome. That's not God. God's not throwing things at you saying, oh well, yeah, this this knocked you down. That knocked you down real good. Don't you want to come back to me so I can lift you back up? That's not you know, isn't that some definition of insanity there? You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of a psychotic mindset, you know, that God would just do all these things and knock us down just so he can be there, lift us back up. You know, that's not, you know, I mean, even an earthly father is not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to burn my kids just so I can bandage them up. Oh, isn't your daddy so lovely because I'm, I'm binding your wounds. You know, I mean, let's forget that I just threw your hand in the fire. You know, I mean, it, that's... That's just not... But we, we have that religious mindset. You know, is it just me? You know, I mean, we, ha- we, we have... We come from that religious mindset, you know, that bad things happen, you know, and God makes these bad things happen so that he can demonstrate just how good he is. And it's like, no, no, that cannot be further from the truth. That's not the God. That's not the father that I'm a son of. You know, that's not... That's not a father that I don't think any of us would want, and that's not the father that we have. He's not setting us up for failure or even hardship. In every situation, he makes a way of escape, but we have an enemy who is a master deceiver. He plants lies into our hearts and minds and then backs up those deceiving thoughts with stealing, killing, and destroying, keeping us in a state of wondering what we did to deserve calamity or why God allowed it to happen you know and so again we have an enemy that walks about you know as a lion seeking who he can devour it does not mean that he can absolutely just devour everybody he's looking for who he has an opportunity you know to devour so it typically starts with a lie with a with a deceiving thought you know of you know, well, you screwed up, so something bad's about to happen. You know, God, you know, God wants to bless you, but because you uh, slipped up, then guess what? Um, you know, expect something bad to happen tomorrow, you know, type thing. And then guess what? He can back it. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so whenever something bad happens, whenever we did something to slip up, and tomorrow something bad happens, it's like, well, yeah, I guess God's punishing me. It's like, no, there's an enemy. He's a master deceiver. He just planted these thoughts in you and he's making these things come to pass. He has that ability. You know, he does, but we only give him. You know, if, if we would say, no, these are, these are not, these are lies from the enemy, if we'd recognize them, and that's what I said, it's a foundational issue of knowing just how good the father is. Because if we knew who our father really was, then we'd recognize these things for what they are as just idiotic lies, you know, I mean, this is not something that is that it remotely resembles my father. So that being it doesn't resemble my father, then obviously is a plan of the enemy. So I don't receive that. You know, I don't need to receive that. Guess what? I've got power and authority, yes. you know, and everything. We are equipped, you know, with power. We, we, we have the keys. Jesus paid the price at the cross. He, he's given us all authority, you know, to this kingdom. And we can we can absolutely trample you know, all these things. These things don't need to attack us, but it starts with the mindset that we have, not having a renewed mind. If we renew the mind to know of who our Father is and who we are and the power that he's given us, then these things don't need to have the foothold in our lives that they do. So once again, we need, to, to, we need the truth to remind us that I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who works, but Christ who works in me. I no longer speak, but Christ speaks in me. And I'm a firm believer, I'm a firm believer that if we're not walking in joy, if we've lost the joy of our salvation, if we're not walking in joy, then we are not walking in full communion with him as he is the very joy of our salvation. And I heard that last night um, as I was taking my shower again, not thinking anything spiritual, not even thinking about this morning. You know anything? I heard God clear as day. Just say, I, emphasis on I, I am the joy of your salvation. You know, so if you're not, if you don't have joy in your salvation, you're not going to get joy of, of salvation through your calling. You're not going to get it through your ministry. You're not going to get it, you know, reaching people, praying for people, healing the sick, all this kind of stuff. It's all great, phenomenal things that, that should be following us as, as believers. But our fulfillment, our joy of salvation comes from knowing the Father, the relationship that we have with the Father. That is where joy, that is where fulfillment, you know, comes from. Everything else is a fruit, you know, that can follow as He, as He places things in our path, as we show that we're obedient to Him and just being carriers of His presence wherever we go, we can walk in that fullness of who we are in Him, which again just comes from spending time in His presence. The more we know him, the more we become transformed into his image. So the time that we spend with him is time that, we are, that, is time that he's using to transform who we are. It's not about knowing about him. And that's why I can, I can speak on these things, because I spent my life learning about you know, who he was, but never knowing him, of he himself, of who I am in him you know, we can learn so much about him and that's not gonna bring transformation. You know, if I know all these things um, intellectually, I wear myself out trying to understand why am I not functioning in freedom? Why am I not, you know, why do I feel so bound by things? Why is, why is calamity always at my doorstep? You know, why every time something happens, I just get knocked down, you know, and I have no joy. I have no freedom. I have no peace. You know, uh, I don't have... Um, you know, things flowing. I don't have signs flowing. I'm not, I'm not praying for people who are not uh, recovering. You know, I'm not, people aren't seeing something in me that they desire. Walls aren't being broken down and people saying, hey, I see something different in you. You know, what is it that you carry? I need this in my life. You know, so, you know, we, we again, we just, like I said, I, I know I'm a broken record and I just keep saying the same thing. You know, but it's a foundational thing is that everything must flow out of the presence of God. Everything must flow without a relationship that we have with Him. If anything that we're doing has not come out of a place of love, because that is where we, the tra- major transformation that we go through is taking on His love. We cannot love unconditionally. I have no ability to love anybody in this room unconditionally. I can only love you as long as you're giving love back to me, you know, and I can maybe pretend like I'm loving you, but as soon as you start to, you know, come against me, and start pushing me away, or ridiculing me, you know, then all of a sudden, I have to start backing off, and well, I, I can't love you anymore, you know, because you're not loving me back. That's not unconditional love. When I have unconditional love of the Father, I'm gonna love you no matter what. I don't know how many of y'all ever read the uh, Cross the Switchblade, you know, in Nikki Cruz, um, or David Wilkerson, you know, and then uh, Nikki Cruz and stuff, and the thing that, um, you know, for, for those of you who don't Know the story. Um, David Wilkerson was 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 um, a missionary, New York downtown, New York area to the gangs, you know, of of New York, and he was a Baptist preacher, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was a Baptist preacher, and he uh, a young guy, so he gets called, um, you know, to be a missionary uh, to you know to these gangs, and the worst of the worst was this guy Nikki Cruz. And his transformation, because I read his book, Run, Baby, Run, and it's, it's from his perspective of how he was viewing David Wilkerson when David Wilkerson showed up on the scene and is and witnessing to them. And the part that swished him around was Nicky Cruz was threatening. You know, he had a knife to uh, David Wilkerson's throat, you know, threatening to kill him for David Wilkerson coming in their place and unannounced. And he's like, hey, just want to tell you all that God loves you. Yeah, you know, he just had all the boldness of the world. He just you know, he just he just went after it, you know, I mean, that's what God gave him, God gave him the grace to do it, there wasn't any arrogancy, he just loved God, and he just wanted, you know, all these young people who were being tormented, you know, by their sin, you know, and by, you know, the, the devils that they were possessed with, you know, he just wanted them to be set free, and to come to know the love of God, so he would just put everything to the side, his own life, you know, to the side, and just you know, he'd go in these places where they're doing all these gatherings, and he'd just show up on the scene, just you know, hey guys, you know, who wants to uh, who wants to give their life to God, you know, type thing, and, and well, we're going to kill you, you know. And uh, so Nikki Cruz puts his knife, you know, to David Wilkerson's neck, and he said, uh, he said, I'm, I'm going I'm to kill you, preacher, and and he and he killed plenty of people. So this is not you know some empty threat. I mean, he he meant it. Um, and David Wilkerson just responds with a smile telling him you can cut me into fifty pieces, and every single one of those pieces is going to keep loving you, and that that destroyed him. It was from that point forward. He's like, "Oh, okay. This, there's something different about this guy. This is not just empty talk. He's not here, you know, just trying to you know reach some people and you know have a little stat sheet, you know, of how many people he converted. No, this guy, this guy means what he says. He legitimately loves." What man can love somebody who's got their knife to throat about to take your life? Who in their right mind can do that? There's something different about him. I need to know who this guy is. You know, and from that point forward, you know, there was just this transformation that took place in the lives of so many, you know, those gang members. Amazing, amazing books if you've never read them. Um, but anyway, so the more we know him, the more we become transformed into his image. And... Of course, the title of my message is Your New Name, and I, don't even, I didn't even write down these re- references uh, for us getting a new name. But Revelations and Isaiah, uh, there's multiple places in both of those books where it talks about us getting a new name. And so along with us being a new creation, um, I'm also identified by a new name. And it says that that new name that we receive is His name. We have his identity. He ordained it from the very beginning that we are gonna be created in his image and his likeness and he's restoring that back to us. And I just think that's amazing that we are taking on his very identity. You know, and that's just, you know, how awesome. You know, how awesome is that? That is something that's just being presented to us saying if you'll just give your life over, if you'll just step into this place of communion, you know, with me, if you'll step in this place of relationship, you know, with me, it's not about you know, everything that you produce, you know, out here, it's not about the external, it's not about what people see, it's not about you know any of these things. It's about who we are in the secret place. God sees who we are when we're alone, when no one else is looking. A lot of us can judge ourselves based on how we appear when everybody else is around, you know, but sometimes we can be totally different people when no one else is around. Or who are we when calamity strikes? You know, what's rising up in our heart? You know, you hear so many people saying, you know, when an orange gets squeezed, you know, what should come out? Orange juice. You know, it'd be a little weird if you squeeze an orange and apple juice, you know, comes out. Something's not right. So why is it when Christians are squeezed, anything other than Jesus comes out? You know, so the more time we spend with him, the more he transforms himself, you know, more he transforms us into himself so that when the squeezing comes, because the squeezing will come, when the squeezing comes, all that comes out is him. And it just pours out over the whole situation. And guess what? Next thing you know, the situation that the enemy meant for evil completely flips, just like it did with Paul. You know, this the the situation that the enemy meant for evil saying, you know, look, I'm going to, you know, he's probably whispering to these people, putting that thought into their mind saying he's a murderer. You know, call him a murderer. This snake came up and bit him and nothing happened. You know, and instead the, the tables are flipped and the whole island gets to see the goodness of God because Paul was confident in who he was, confident in his relationship with God and said, you know what, I'm going after him, you know, with everything that I have. And he heals, you know, he heals everything. All, all the islanders of the sick. I have no idea how many it was. But it was, it's apparently enough for everybody to recognize that there is a goodness of God here. There's something special about what this person's carrying. Um, and so, again, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, a new name. And, you know, what's the play? You know, what's in a name? You know, or whatever. Um, and I don't know how many of y'all know this, but I changed my name. So, I was not born Gabriel John Vincent. My last name was not Vincent. I'm actually a McLean, M C M little C capital L A I N, and I never had a relationship with my biological father. My parents divorced when I was two months old, so I, n- I never knew him. Nothing against him. I just I never knew him. And when I was two years old, my mom married uh, Harold Vincent, um, and so he became my dad. He was he was my dad to me. And we never discussed anything, Um, you know, for for some of you who who, who know me, who've known me for all my life, you know, know that I was always very close to my dad. You know, my dad and I had a very, very good relationship. You know, he, I considered him my best friend. Um, There was very little that we didn't talk about or do together. And when I was 15 years old, I just had something come up in me to where I said, you know what, I'm going to carry on his name. I'm going to change my name. And so I went to him, uh, and I'll never forget it. Uh, I went to him and I said, Dad, um, you know, I don't know exactly how you bring that up or you know, whatever, but I said, Dad, um, I, I want to change my name to your last name. Um, I want to, there's so much, and this is what I told him, there's so much that you've put into my life, because there was, just spiritually and naturally, he just taught me ways of wisdom, and he taught me the ways of God. And I said, I want to walk, you know, in, in the things that you've taught me. I didn't want to be a preacher or anything like that, you know, but I was like, I want to carry out, you know, what you've done, and I want to take on your name. I want to represent you, you know, as I move, as I move on in my life. And uh, my dad was obviously, not an, emotion, well, obviously he was not an emotional person, even less, you know, than I am. Uh, but how many of you know, that, that touched him, you know, pretty tremendously. That day, a lawyer was contacted, you know, to say, what's the process that we need to go through to make this happen, you know, and get my name legally changed from McLean to Vincent, so that way I could carry on, in the natural, his lineage, you know, and it was nothing against my biological father. No, nothing against my my biological father. He just wasn't my dad. This was my dad. This is the one who raised me. This is one who put everything that he had into me. This is the person who disciplined me every day. You know, I mean, just, you know, he's put me on the right path. And so I wanted to carry on, you know, his name. That was an important thing to me. And for some people, maybe who've never gone through it, may not see that as being a big deal, but it's a big deal. There's something big, you know, about her name. There's, you know, I'm sure every single one of you ladies in here that has had a baby before, you don't just flip through a book and say, okay, I'm naming my baby that, you know. No, there is a lot of thought that goes into what you're naming your baby. We do put emphasis on a name. Every single one of you ladies, I'm sure, can say right off the top of your head exactly what your baby's name or any of your children's name means, you know, and because you gave it some thought. Whether or not they're actually like that, I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe you named your son, you know, super laid back and easy and compassionate, you know, whatever, whatever name is, is that and they're super rambunctious. I don't know, but it, we, we, all, we all put a lot of emphasis on saying, hey, I want my baby's name to mean something. This is the traits that I want them to carry. You know, yeah, and we're not just picking, you know, Bob and Bertha as our names. I mean, we're, we're into, you know, cooler, more meaningful names, you know, now. But I mean, we, nothing is picked without us knowing the full scale and depth of what goes into that name. And so there's a big deal with it. Um, okay, i 'm closing here. Um, so I just had a, a quick example of something I wanted to share. Uh, again, this is about my dad, but it leads into uh, this water cup, just a, a kind of a vision that I had gotten. So I remember um, it was probably eight years ago, something like that. It was two years. Um, or a couple, probably a, a couple of years before my dad passed away, um, we we had bought twenty acres. My parents bought ten. Amy and I bought the other ten acres, and we built homes uh, on the property. And as we were building, uh, I mean, we, we were building it ourselves, um, so we we were seeing each other obviously every day. I mean, working, you know, uh, working on these homes. And I remember. Um, i was I was bothered by my back, there, uh, so we, we lived in a little house we, we call it our guest house, and that 's being very uh, <clears throat> it's, it sounds better than it actually really is it 's a dump <laughs> of a shack uh, that 's on our property and uh, It came with the property built in the 1800s, you know still standing uh, but hey we, Amy and I were living in it with you know all of our kids and um, and my parents were living in a mobile home on the, on the trailer. And so that's where we were living while we were both building our homes. And I remember I was in just excruciating pain with my back. And to where I wasn't outside working on the house, I didn't say anything to anybody. Um, I'm one of those people that's just kind of a, I'm not a complainer, I guess, when I'm hurting or sick, I just kind of, just quiet, you know, I guess, or whatever, just kind of keep to myself and try to, honestly, just try to get my mind occupied, you know, on something else. But um, I remember it's pouring down rain, and I'm standing there in our little house, and it's overlooking the mobile home where my parents live. And um, I'm standing there at the front door, you know. Just I remember I had my hand just kind of on my back, you know, just uh, and, and just in a lot of pain. And it's pouring down rain, and I see my dad uh, running outside because uh, we had chickens, we had some horses, you know, we had some things, and so he was running out to go uh, feed them. And I mean, just a torrential downpour. Remember he had his jacket up over his head. He's running, it's muddy. You know, so he's soaking wet, getting covered in mud and I'm just watching him, you know, through the window. And he, he does his thing, he feeds the animals and then I see him running back uh, to the mobile home and just before he steps in, he stops and he pauses and then he comes and walks towards our house and knocks on the door, let him in and he's like, Um, do you need anything? Do you need prayer for something? And I said, well, I'm in excruciating pain with my back. So he prays for me. And of course, my back is, you know, healed, you know, released from the pain. And that, I mean, I witnessed that kind of thing happen many, many times, you know, through the life of my dad. But that was one that stuck out to me so much because in the middle of everything else going on, in the middle of getting muddy and rained on, just getting this done, let me hurry up and get back into the home, still being sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to say, hold on, somebody needs something over here. And to stop and be obedient, you know, and to move in that, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. You know, I don't care what you say, the Holy Spirit's going to show up. You know, and so many, sometimes maybe some of us have done that, and maybe we didn't see an immediate thing, but I still maintain that there's, the, there's, there's healings and there's miracles. Miracles are instantaneous. And healings are something that can take place over a period of time, but God's hand is still moving in the situation. So maybe that time when you've prayed for somebody out of obedience with the Holy Spirit, you didn't see that instant transformation, that instant miracle happen. I don't doubt for a second that there's not still a healing that's taking place. So don't ever sell anything short. We... we we spend a lot of time sowing, and we don't always get an opportunity to reap. So many of us, I think, and we were uh, we were talking about this yesterday. You know, so many of us don't realize how often we're actually sowing. You know, everywhere we go, we're carrying the presence of God. You know, with us, we're carrying the anointing of God with us. We're saying little things that may not sound significant, you know, or whatever. Just you know, hey, you know, pray you have a blessed day. You know, whatever it might be. You're sowing a whole lot more seeds than you realize. And I think if if, at the end of time, you know, if if this is the way things work out, I don't know, but I think a lot of us would be surprised if if people were allowed to come up to us at the end and say, you know what, that time that you, da 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 da, thank you. I, I'm telling you, don't pass those opportunities because I think they are far more impactful than we realize. And they're start, They're typically starting something that can be catapulting somebody towards something. So step into those things. Don't be disheartened when you don't see that immediate miraculous, you know, we, we want to, I mean, yeah, I want to reap the harvest. I want to see, you know, me touch somebody and they've just jump up and, and walk and I mean and, and we'll see it and we do see it I mean miracles absolutely 100% do happen but just because we don't see it right then and there don't like you know Amy you know, told me before when we operate in faith don't ever judge a result in the natural and that's what we do we operate in faith we pray for people and then because we don't see the outcome that we expected or that we were praying for with our eyes or with our ears or whatever it might be we don't see it we're like well didn't work you know, whatever. No, you don't know that. You don't know what the Spirit is doing on the lives of, of those people that you just said a little word for, that you put your hand on for a healing for. You know, you don't know. You can't judge that. If you just did an act of faith and have faith that, this, that there's a transformation that's taking place right there. You know, so don't, don't come out of that. So I use that example because that, when my dad did that for me, it's something that just stuck with me. It just touched me so much, not just because I was actually healed, but just seeing the way the whole experience you know, went down, it just it, it touched me, you know, just, just big time, just seeing him being so obedient uh, and sensitive to the, to the flow of the Holy Spirit. And so it wasn't long after that, there was a hurricane that came through. I think it was in New Orleans. I don't remember where it was. Um, but we, uh, we were driving, Amy and I and the kids, we were driving, and it was at the corner of I-10 and I-49, and there was an 18-wheeler flatbed uh, truck just loaded down with pallets of water and there were different brands, you know, of water. It just, you know, it was one of those things where you just get whatever you can get your hands on, and we're going to the, we're going to the area to bring people, you know, some water, because whatever happened with this hurricane, you know, people didn't have access to water. There, so there was a lot of thirsty people, and so I saw these bottles of water, and just, man, the Holy Spirit just, just spoke to me, you know, as I saw that, And what I I saw, you know, as I was watching this truck drive by with with just all these different types of water, is whenever that truck showed up at the distribution point where they were handing out all this water to all these people, and I don't know the specifics of how they were doing, I don't know if it was a free-for-all and everybody just, you know, tossing out bottles, you know, I don't know. But what I saw, you know, and what this happened is those people who who were the ones receiving that water did not care if it was Kirkland brand, if it was Avion, if it was whatever, it was just like the substance is what mattered. And so how many of us, you know, we're spirit, soul, and body. You know, this cup, you know, is the body. And this wrapper, this is the character of what's supposed to be in this bottle. And it's got the ingredients, you know, in here. How many of us spend all of our emphasis on the label? you know, on on this wrapper that goes around this body. We want to I want to because I want to see these fruits manifested in my life, I'm gonna put these things down on this wrapper, even though I may not have that this this thing inside of me, this Holy Spirit, you know, inside of me, I'm still gonna put down these things that I want to see produced in my life. And we put all this emphasis on the wrapper. And if they would have showed up with nothing in these bottles but the prettiest wrappers with All these amazing, you know, ingredients. This is from the Amazon rainforest. This is from, you know, whatever. All this kind of stuff, and pour it out. And one, it's either not drinkable or it's empty. How many would have still been impressed, you know, by that cup or that or that label, you know, that wrapper that so many people work so hard, you know, to create? And I don't know if any of you all ever seen the YouTube video. It's pretty hilarious. I think it was in New York City somewhere. Uh, It was a joke. You know, it was a real thing, but you know, these people did this as a joke. They set up this, um, they called it a water cafe in the middle of uh, downtown New York. And it was beautiful. They had linen tables, candlelight, you know, stuff. Waiters wearing tuxes, you know, everything was really nice. And what it was, was they were um, selling water, like exotic waters, you know, for people to test. But it was, it was a joke. It wasn't really exotic water. They were literally in the back with a water hose, pouring the same thing into every single cup. But because the, the menus looked so enticing, they would bring out these menus and there was like 12 different options. And yeah, one of them was the Amazon rainforest. One was, and they just had these descriptions of, you know, as you sip this, you will taste the, the you know, the blah, 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 you know, and all this kind of stuff. You know, and they'd have, you know, these couples sitting there, you know, and, and one would order this. And they're like 10, $12 for a little glass, you know, of, of water you know, and so one would be trying this one, you know, the husband would try this one, the wife got a different one, she try that, and we're like, oh, this one, oh, let's, let's, let us let me try yours, and let me try, oh, this one's really good, you know, and then at the end of the whole thing, they show the hidden cameras, and, you know, uh, <laughs> y'all, been joke the whole time, but they bought it, hook, line, and sinker, you know what I mean, so we have, we're masters of creating labels, and because of these labels that we can produce, we can make people believe something. We could put up this facade, you know, for somebody. But when the when it comes down to when the rubber meets the road, and somebody actually needs something, do we have what we say that we have in this bottle, or all we have, or all or all, all we have cared about is this label that we've been working to produce? And so that is what that is what I told my dad a few days, you know, after he prayed for me, and I saw this this 18-wheeler drive by, I said, Dad, I just want to tell you that you may not have the prettiest label. So I told him, I said, you came up to me, you're filthy. You were in mud, you were damp. I mean, there was nothing attractive going on about you in the natural. Um, and when you, when you see my dad, he's not something, again, kind of like me, not eloquent you know, at all, very rough around the edges, but he had something in him that gave life. There was a life-giving spirit that was in him. And that's why I told him, I said, dad, I just want to tell you that God told me you are like this water bottle. And it was a water bottle without a label on it. You're transparent. People can see what's in you. I, I don't have a solid cup. I'm not trying to hide something. I'm not trying to tell you that I've got the river, but I've got water, but I just went down the Vermilion River and I've got brown water in here. You know, no, it's a transparent vessel. You're a transparent vessel, and God is using you. He has given you his Holy Spirit, his His life-breathing Holy Spirit is what you are distributing and what you are carrying, and what you pour out ministers life to everybody that you encounter. And so all we're responsible for, because we are all vessels, and all we are responsible for is opening up the cap and getting under the flow and letting the Holy Spirit pour in what he wants and letting that overflow that comes out. I know Pastor Mark's demonstrated this before. I'm not gonna do it. It's his (laughs) carpet, not mine. You know, so that water just overflows and just pours out. And that is what we give to people. It's not going and getting under the flow, getting as much filled up as I can, go pour this out to a few people, then I've become empty. Let me go fill back up again. No, that's not how the Holy Spirit functions. We stand in his presence. We have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He pours his life into us, and it doesn't stop. When we move, when we get out from the flow, it stops. But when we stay in the flow, it's pouring, and it knows no limits. It knows no bounds. It has no cap. There is no stopping point. It just continues to pour and to pour and to pour. And guess what? People who are thirsty look over, and they see this cup, and they say, man, this thing's overflowing. I need to get me some of that. And next thing you know, people are drawn. So what the scripture says is he will draw all people to himself. How does he draw them? Through you, through this vessel that's just allowing the Holy Spirit to just pour and overflow and let everybody just just feast off of the overflow that's being poured into your life. That is how we function. That is how we are perfect vessels. And that is the name that we have, that we have all been changed to. We carry his presence and we carry his very name you know, in our lives. And to me, that's just the most exciting thing in the world. And that's all I have, you know, but I just, you know, I just thank God for his presence and don't ever take the presence of God for granted, you know, or just think it's something for a Sunday morning. You know, man, I'm so thankful that we get to encounter that, that we are stepping into that presence of God in such a tangible way. You know, I mean, man, that's, that's awesome. You know, you want to bottle that up and take that with you. And you can, you have it with you. There is nothing saying that you ever have to leave the presence of God, you don't. It's something we stay in and we're all responsible for. Is taking off the cap and letting the Holy Spirit draw people when they see what's going on in your life, saying, man, these people have not put a cap on it. They have not changed. You know, they're they're allowing this Holy Spirit to just run. What is this? Let them be drawn to that. That's what we're responsible for, that's it. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's nothing that hard you know, about that. So anyway, so that's it. So again, just let his spirit overflow into the lives of those we are around. That's, that's pretty much uh, the sum of what we're called to. All right, well, y'all can stand. Um, before we release, Cody had reminded me, uh, I think I always forget about the tithe thing. Um, so if y'all have that slide, because I don't have it memorized. So these are the ways to give. I know there's cards somewhere back there, some envelopes, so you can give your tithes and stuff through those cards. You can go online. You can do the QR code, and then the next slide, you can also text uh, the word give to that number, 337-434-3777. You'll be given a link, and you can give through that way. But that's it. Y'all be blessed. Love y'all so much. Take the presence of God with you. Amen.